It's my delight to bring the word to you this morning. And we've been doing this series looking at Peter's first letter. Um, And one of my hearts, I want to share this with you about bringing this word, is my approach to bringing this word in this series is, Lord, I want to bring honestly what Peter wrote under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to read a scripture and then go off on a tangent that's not what Peter wrote there under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So my heart has been, I want to be true to God's word. And I mean, literally last week I said to myself, I'm bringing whatever the next scriptures say, whether I want to or not. Okay, I want to be true to God's word. And you know, that's often, it's a good attitude to have when you read your Bible in your quiet time. I'm, I'm Lord, I'm going to read my word and I am going to receive whatever you have to say to me from your word. So we're looking at Peter's first letter and the subtitle is Joy Through the Fiery Test of Genuine Faith. <laughs> that is one of those titles. It's like, you know, there's the... There's that, that, that old saying, kind of, stop it, stop it, I like it. You know, it's like, oh Lord, I, I don't know if I want it. It sounds good, but uh, let's see what Peter has to say. So we're just looking at two verses, uh, the next two verses, which is verse 6 and 7 of, of uh, Peter. But in this first letter, I want us to just remember who Peter was. And I've, I've alluded to this in the previous three sessions that we've looked at. But uh, just on the screen, uh, just some things about Peter. You know, for me, I love to do background research. You know, who wrote this book? What's the context? What is happening uh, to the people that this author was writing this letter to or this book to? There's a context, and the more you understand of the context, the more it can speak to you in our circumstances, yeah. And so, who was Peter? And just some remembering. Um, remember, in the Gospels, his name's mentioned quite a lot. The, the Gospels, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're the four Gospels. So Peter's name is mentioned in the Gospels more than anyone except the name of Jesus. Wow. No one speaks in the Gospels as often as Peter. Jesus spoke more to Peter than to any other individual in the Gospels. And Jesus rebuked Peter more than any other disciples, okay? I'm sure most of what is written here, Peter likes, but, you know, um, maybe he would say, <laughs> can we delete the last point, okay? Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Peter was the only disciple who dared to rebuke Jesus. Go Pete, okay? Uh, Peter confessed Jesus more boldly and accurately than any other disciple, Peter denied Jesus more forcefully and publicly than any other disciple. Another one of those like, oh Lord, does everybody have to know about that? And finally, Jesus praised Peter more than any of the other disciples. And so, Peter was definitely a significant person in the Bible. And so, I have enjoyed just reminding myself who Peter was... And so now this letter that he writes to these five or six churches in northern Turkey, 30 years later, after he walked with Jesus in the person, he's now walking 
with the Spirit of Christ and the anointing of the Spirit of Christ. He's writing to these churches. And, and I like to remind myself as I come to these verses that this is who's writing these verses. He knew Jesus. He's walked with Him. What does this guy have to say to churches? And remember, who are the, what's happening? It's in the time of Nero. It's in the mid-60s, okay? The original 60s, 2,000 years ago, okay? The year 63 to 65. That's when uh, Bible historians believe he wrote this. And Nero was uh, just releasing an an outbreak of persecution against Christians. Remember, he started a fire. He burnt half of Rome down. He started it and he blamed the Christians. And so this hatred of Christians was spreading through the Roman Empire. These churches in these cities in northern Turkey were experiencing persecution from Roman neighbors that were just being horrible and nasty to them. And we'll unpack it more And Peter's writing to them and saying, how do you respond? How are you when you face such an onslaught? And so let's go on. So um, we're going to read, we're going to start in verse 5, which is the verse we looked at last week. Then we're going to read verse 6 and 7 on the next slide, which highlights, and we're going to go, and then we're going to unpack it. So, um, you know what? Really, and this and all, you don't have to stand, but let's read the word together. It's on your screen. You can read, okay? Okay, Jen says, let's stand. If Jen says, stand, guys, you better stand, okay? You better stand. Okay, let's stand, okay? Um, let's just read this word. We'll read it through, and then we'll, we'll jump, go further. Okay, we'll start just, you don't have to read the, the title. We'll just start there uh, through our faith on three. One, two, three. Through our faith, the mighty power of God constantly guards, shields, protects, garrisons us until our full salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. May the thought of this cause you to jump for joy, even though lately you've had to put up with the grief of many trials. But these only reveal the sterling core of your faith, which is far more valuable than gold that perishes, for even gold is refined by fire. Amen. You may be seated. Okay. So, he, I just want to highlight this, that in verse 6, he says, May the thought of this cause you to jump for joy. What thought? In verse 5, remember last week, this concept of our God garrisons, protects, shields, guards us is a reality. And remember, we looked at external protection and internal protection. It's a reality. But we remember before this, we looked at that uh, what are some of the things He guards and protects? Amen. For example, the fact that God chose you, that you are called, is a reality that, for example, causes us to jump for joy. The reality that we are born again by the Spirit of God causes us to jump for joy. The thought of this. The reality that He has an inheritance kept for us in heaven and He's keeping us so we can receive that inheritance which we looked at last week is stuff that causes us to jump for joy. Okay. So I just wanted to put five, verse 5. I didn't put all the other verses. It'll be lots of screens of text. So there's stuff that we can jump for joy. Let's go on to and just zoom in on verse 6 on the next slide. So he says, may the thought of this cause you to jump for joy. Uh, Many other translations, this is the passion, uh, use the words greatly rejoice. He says, "May may the thought of this cause you to greatly rejoice. Even though lately 
you've had to put up with a grief. Okay, that word grief can mean sorrow or pain of many trials or tests. Now, I want to highlight in this verse, the Bible is mentioning great rejoicing or jump for joy in the same verse as experiencing pain or grief or sorrow because of trials and tests. Folks, that is an amazing paradox. The Bible is full of paradox. A paradox is an apparent contradiction. Two things that you don't think can go together, okay? But they do. The reality is that, folks, even though we are experiencing pain or sorrow or grief due to tough things we're going through, we can still rejoice greatly or jump for joy. It is a paradox. And, and I want to highlight this because, you know, I, I have been there before. And, and I know maybe, maybe, maybe you're different. But you know, when, when you feel like a Christian is being too joyful for where you are at right now, and you just want to turn down their joy, you know, you know like a dial, where they're actually irritating you with their joy. And, and the reason is probably because your joy is a bit low, and their joy is convicting you. And, and, and we kind of say, yeah, but he's not being real. He's not being authentic. We're going to come to that because in verse, in verse 7, he talks about a real and authentic faith, and we're going to unpack that. And folks, I want to submit to you that in the midst of trials that cause you pain and sorrow and grief, you can still, you have permission to still have joy. Amen? And, and this concept of joy, folks, is so much deeper and greater than I want to highlight, and we're going to come to just happiness. You know, happiness has, is rooted in the word happenings. If you have good happenings, you're happy. But folks, if you're going through serious trials that are calling you pain and grief, Folks, you're not necessarily going to be happy, but you can still be joyful. Joyful, literally, is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And joy comes from God. He's not saying, may the thought of this, it's not. Let me just say about the thought of this. It's the thought of this, he's referring to everything that he's written before, which is all God stuff. And all that God stuff, every one of you, if you're a child of God, you can tick that off and say, that God stuff is my stuff. Am I chosen by God from before time began? Absolutely. It's your God stuff. And you can rejoice greatly because of that. It doesn't matter what trial you're going through, whether it's a health trial, whether it's a financial trial, whether it's a relational trial, it's a business trial, it's a studies trial, you can still have joy. You have permission to have joy, and it's part of your inheritance because God still chose you. Whether you are having troubles with your studies or not, you're still chosen. Being born again is not affected by whether your business is doing well. Um, the fact that His inheritance in heaven for you, kept for you, uh, has got nothing to do whether you're going through a, a health challenge. All of this stuff is totally independent about the trials we face right here on earth. And so this paradox is a reality that we can live in. Amen? And sometimes the joyful Christian needs to convict us that why are you not pressing into more joy? I've been convicted by the Spirit of God in my own life that I have not been pressing into joy, which is part of my inheritance and yours. Amen? And I, quite honestly, you know, I'm like... I, if I think about my life, I would much rather have more joy in my life than just wallow in grief, pain, and sorrow all day long. The paradox is that in the same day that you are experiencing pain and grief, there are times that you can 
dig into and tap into the wells of joy that God has for us that's got nothing to do with your circumstance. It's an amazing paradox, but it's a reality for every one of us. Amen? And I want to firstly, where am, I, where am I going with this firstly? I want to just dig down into the wells of joy. And what I'm going to do on the next few slides, two slides, just two slides, okay? I have got scriptures from different places in the Bible that speak about joy and rejoicing, and gladness. And these are scriptures that I'm like, which Christian in their right mind would not say, God, I see this in your word. That is your promise to me. I need to tap into some of that inheritance. I have not been tapping into that inheritance in the last while. Amen? I want to tell you, I I do happiness. Absolutely, do happiness if you want. But remember, happiness is depending on happenings. You know, when your, when your daughter comes home, okay, for two-week surprise holiday, I'm happy, okay, I'm happy. But if she couldn't come, and maybe, for example, she was coming and then she couldn't come because of floods and flights and whatever, I, I may be unhappy, but I can still have joy that I have a beautiful daughter, God has saved her, God has plans for her and plans for us, and they haven't quite overlapped in this last while. Amen? So let's look at what some scriptures about joy. And folks, these aren't my scriptures. You can take these promises for yourself. I am actually wanting to provoke you to take these promises for yourself and saying, God, I actually am going to dig into the wells of joy. I need more joy in my life, okay? I'm tired of being miserable and just sad and sorrowful all the time, okay? So let's go on to some of these scriptures. Christianity is a life of tremendous and abiding joy, okay? Some of you are saying, well, (laughs) I don't know if I could say that about my life right now, but let's look at these scriptures, okay? Psalm 37 verse 4 directs us to delight ourselves in the Lord. Folks, delight is a nice word. Delight yourself in the Lord. Psalm 16 verse 11 says that in your presence there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. Jenny just read a scripture where God promised like so strongly that I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's promising I'm with you. Folks, do you know what that does to you? That is a promise of fullness of joy. What does fullness of joy look like? Have you plumbed the the depths of fullness of joy in your life because you are knowing and you are convinced that God is with you and He's never going to leave you nor forsake you? Folks, that is a promise that when you're standing in that seriously long queue to try and get a driver's license, renew your driver's license. (laughs) Okay, sorry, this is triggering me, but this is a good one. Okay, this is a good one. Okay, I don't know if you know the Mission Impossible series. It's a, it's, they, uh, Tom Cruise, who's the actor, he's a famous actor. If you don't know, don't put up your hand right now who Tom Cruise is, okay? Uh, Tom Cruise was in South Africa for like two, three months, uh, just recently, this year. Um, and they were filming Mission Impossible 8. And uh, they were up, he was staying in Hoodsprate um, at, a, at a lodge, and I read articles, the lodge staff said, just, what a gentleman. Just so respectful of him, etc. And he's a, he's a qualified pilot. And the reason they were there is they were filming these amazing flight scenes through the Blader River, Blader River Canyon, which is, in, uh, which is the only green canyon in the whole world. So they f- Tom apparently was flying these incredible scenes through the Blader River Canyon. And there were these memes going around. What is the theme 
of Mission Impossible 8. Why is Tom in South Africa? What is the plot of this movie? And some of the guys said, the plot of Mission Impossible 8 is how to get your driver's license in South Africa. Tom is trying to get a driver's license renewed in South Africa. Anyway, I thought that was funny, okay? That made me happy. Not necessarily joyful, but happy, okay? And how did we get there from there? Where were, how did we, I don't know. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yes, you can have joy when you're queuing for your driver's license, okay? Psalm 100 verse 2 tells us to serve the Lord with gladness. Gladness is a good word. I like it. It's, I'm, I like gladness. Deuteronomy 12 verse 18. To rejoice before the Lord our God in all our undertakings. You know the word rejoice. Rejoice. Re means again. Rejoice literally means have joy again. Have joy again. About what? Remember we're reading the scripture where he says... The thought of this causes you to jump for joy. Okay, You can have joy again. For example, the day of your salvation, the, God, the day God reached into your life, revealed himself to you, responded to him, and you have the conviction that your name is written in the, in the Lamb's book of life. Folks, we can rejoice at the wells of salvation all our days. It's got nothing to do with whether you get your driver's license or not. Amen? We can rejoice Jesus said, rejoice and leap for joy, for your reward is great in heaven. Folks, we know our inheritance is kept for God. Every day, it doesn't matter what, we can rejoice because we have great rewards in heaven. Amen? Then there's the scripture reference. And Jesus said, and these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy might be full. Jesus spoke, folks, Scripture, the things Jesus wrote, the red letter stuff, He spoke it that we may have joy. What kind of joy? His joy. He says that my joy may be in you. And that your joy might be full. What does full joy look like? How many of you, don't put up your hand now, are saying, I am walking at the full level of joy like Jesus. <laughs> Keep your hands down now, right? Okay. Are you being provoked to see more joy in your life? I want the joy of Jesus. The Bible says, yeah, where's that scripture? In, 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 it's one of the Psalms, 70s around there. It says, he was anointed with joy above all his companions. It's prophetic scripture about Jesus. I love, uh, I think it was Bruce Marciano who played one of these Jesus movies that we had. And his conviction was Jesus was joyful. And when they filmed him interacting, he had a smile on his face. And people were like, why are you so happy? And he was like, I'm convinced that Jesus carried joy. That was his conviction. Okay, Bible says he was anointed with joy above his companions. There's a scripture for you. The word of God is given, I've spoken these things to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Amen. This, this challenges me. I'm not just challenging you. I'm challenging myself. Okay. The Apostle Paul, if you were just thinking, okay, that's Old Testament, that's the Gospels, but you know, the serious stuff is the epistles. Okay. What does Paul say in the epistles? Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote, rejoice. Okay. Have joy again in the Lord. Always. Okay. So there we go. You think, oh, well, only on Sunday morning, you know, when there's really, you know, when, when the beat's going and it's, it's, you know, and I get the beat. That's, oh, no, 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 no. Always. And again, I say rejoice. Just in case you thought that he made a mistake with writing, have joy again. He's saying it twice. Over. Philippians 4.4. 4. And the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Okay. You're walking with the Spirit. You're filled with the Spirit. You're anointed and appointed by this God. Well, where's the joy? Okay, let's see it in your life. 
He says, Paul says, that he is a worker with us for our joy. Paul said, he's working for our joy. I'm like, I can do that job. (laughs) Job description. I work for the joy of my people. I work that people may have more joy. I'm like, I like that job description. Okay? And he said that he lives for the advancement and the joy of our faith. Wow. And that God loves a cheerful giver, by the way. Okay, Jen didn't quite get to that one. Finally, Nehemiah 8 verse 10 says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, that verse, Nehemiah 8, you know what's happening over there? I just went to go check it out. Well-known verse, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You're struggling with strength. You're struggling to get out of bed and get to church in the morning. You're feeling no strength, okay? Well, Tap into the wells of joy. Maybe you need to get here to rejoice with believers who are rejoicing. So you can have strength. So you have enough strength to get to church next week. Amen. Nehemiah 8 for 8. What's happening in that book is they, he calls the whole congregation together. They have an in-person meeting. Okay. There was no Zoom. There was no YouTube, etc. In person. Get your there in the chair. And they're reading the word of God to them. And he's reading. And the people are convicted because they hear the story of why they're in such a mess. Because God promised time and time again, if you turn away from me, you you will be taken into exile, etc. And it makes sense to them why they're in so much trouble. And they're so convicted. And they're repenting. And they're crying. And they're sorrowful. And and they're, they're experiencing godly repentance. And Nehemiah comes to them and instructs them the next day. This is after they read the word. He said, the next day, we're going to celebrate. We're going to have food. We're going to have a party and we're going to celebrate. And it was, again, it was a paradox. They are mourning. They're convicted about, wow, how far they've moved away from God as a nation. And, and, and Nehemiah changes, changes the whole story. He says, tomorrow we're having a party. Okay, it's a church social tomorrow, guys. Bring the food. Okay, we're going to worship God. We're going to celebrate. And in that context, he says, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. You're losing your strength through all this mourning, etc. There's been two cases in my life where as a leader, we experience, I've been through some stuff, folks. Um, I know you think, you know, I've just graduated with my undergrad degree, but, you know, that was a little while ago. Um, been in the ministry now for 21 years, full-time ministry. Been, um, I worked in engineering for just nearly 10 years. There was a time where we experienced a massive, massive setback as a church, our church in Cape Town, huge. And there was, and we were literally having a time of fasting and repenting, and it was, it was, we were really doing hard stuff. And, and a senior prophetic leader spoke to us, and he said, I actually want you to stop fasting now. You need to eat. And, and his instruction was, he said, I actually want to ask you to stop mourning. There was a time where they were mourning for Moses. And then the Lord says in, 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 in Joshua, they say, he says, uh, Moses is dead. You know, basically, get your stuff together and get into the promised land. Moses is dead. I know that. I'm aware of that. Stop crying. And get on with, with, with my plan for your life. Twice I've had instructions to basically stop. You've mourned. We see that. But now get on with your life. Get into the promised land. Get going with God has, what, has God, what God has for you. I'm not saying there's not a time for mourning. Ignore sorrow. Ignore pain. This, the scripture's not ignoring that. 
what I'm saying is there are times where I think sometimes we mourn too much and we, and we, we, we wallow in our self-pity and our pain too much and God's saying, hey, I've got joy for you. You actually need some rejoicing because the joy of the Lord is your strength. For you to get into your promised land, you need some joy. So those are just like, I don't know, 17 scriptures there. They are yours for the taking. Okay, I haven't copyrighted them. Please take them, apply them in your lives. I really pray you do. Next one, next scripture. Not, not a scripture. It's not a scripture. It's the American dream. It's not a scripture. Okay, edit out of the video. Big, remember, quickly, not a scripture. Okay, somebody's going to say I'm quoting the American dream as a scripture. But the American dream is quite a well-known, let me say, um, concept in our culture. And why do I say the American dream? American culture has a big impact on the rest of the world because of the proliferation of Hollywood and just the media that has come from America has really gone across the world. The American dream is rooted in the Declaration of Independence, which proclaims that all men are created equal, amen, which is biblical, with a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I would say, that is all. That's biblical, the, the, the right to life, liberty, and property, they say as well, and the pursuit of happiness. And I've underlined the pursuit of happiness. Because the fact that you have the right to life. Somebody can't take your life, okay? I'm happy about that, okay? Um, liberty, the right to freedom, okay? And there's been lots of fights in the, in the last hundreds of years where people's restrictions of, uh, people's freedom is, re- is restricted, etc. Praise God for the freedom we have. But the pursuit of happiness is a core tenant of the American Declaration of Independence and the concept of what Americans are going for, the pursuit of happiness. Now, I want to say that's a noble goal, but when you understand that the word happiness has its, has its essence in, in happenings, in other words, when you have right happening, happenings, then you are happy. Then you realize making the pursuit of happiness can be a pipe dream. Because, it inv- because inevitably it involves pursuing having the right things that you think would make you happy. You know, a house like this, a spouse like this, kids like this. You know what I mean? Staying in a place like this, with a car like this. If I have all those things in place, I'm going to be happy. And we know it's not true. Amen? That isn't. All these externals. Some of the people who take the most antidepressants stay in very nice houses. Okay? But they are miserably unhappy. Folks, joy is a work of the Spirit of God that is deeper than happiness. I want to say, can we say I'm pursuing joy, the joy of the Lord. I'm pursuing rejoicing, drinking from the wells of joy. I don't mind being happy. Please be happy. Don't stop pursuing happiness. But I'm just saying there's a greater goal. And I'm, and I'm literally just contrasting happiness to biblical joy, which is our strength, which is a source of our strength. Amen. And I want to just finish with a sentence on the next. Christianity is a life of tremendous and abiding joy. We've looked at that. As, as we endure the grief, sorrow, or pain of many trials, tests, it's a beautiful paradox. It's a beautiful paradox, an apparent contradiction, two things that you think can't go together. And, and I just want to mention, you know, the kind of things that these guys would have been going through that Peter's writing these letters to. We kind of think persecution. It's like an academic word. You know, something that happened, okay? Persecution could look like this, okay? That in your school environment, because you're a Christian, you excluded 
from certain social circles, from certain things, etc. That I know when you're a teenager, that would have a major impact on your life. Okay, but but say you're in northern Turkey and uh, or you know Asia, as they called it in Bible times, and you now lose your job because you're a Christian and you are the sole income generator for your family. You lose your job, not because you did anything wrong, not because you can't do your work, not because you were late, not because you stole, but because you're a Christian. Would that have a major impact on your life? How about your friend who you thought was your friend goes to the authorities and reports that you're a Christian, they arrest you and put you in jail. How, how do you think that friendship would go? Now suddenly it's, you, you can't go to work because you're in jail. And what happens if you now get beaten up in jail can you think of all the pain these people... I mean, I put their grief, sorrow, and pain through many trials. Folks, this is real hard stuff that these people went through. And it's in that situation, Peter says, you can rejoice because of the God stuff that doesn't change. The God stuff, you're in the middle of jail, you've lost your job, you're being mad. All the God stuff still applies. You can still rejoice. And Paul the Apostle did this in jail. Remember him and Silas, how they were literally praising God, singing praises to God. And I want to say this about joy. We can do it through songs, but joy is not about having a nice song. It's so much deeper than that. Amen. So let's move on. I want to move on to verse 7. And I think we can do it. Jen, do you think we can do verse 7? My wife's shaking her. But love, where's your faith? You call yourself a woman of faith. We can do this. Amen. Everybody else is nodding this way and you're nodding this way. 1 Peter 1 verse 7. The next verse. He says, these have come. What's he talking about? These trials and tests. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. Remember I said we're going to look at this word genuine? Is it, are you being fake because you have joy in the midst of trials? This book speaks about genuineness and may result in the praise, glory, praise, glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I want to highlight, folks, this verse speaks about that what the outcome and the impact, one of the major impacts of these trials on your life, is it impacts your faith. It has, and I want to highlight, four impacts, and they're positive, or things that happens to your faith as you go through these trials. So again, I'm looking at what did Peter say? What are the truths, the four truths we can learn about this kind of faith that can go through these trials? Remember that these guys are going through, and, and obviously we're going to bring it home. We face different trials. Floods. We face looting. Okay, We face pandemics today. Okay, But the same principles apply in our lives. Amen? Firstly, on the next slide, the outcome of this kind of faith. Okay, what do these trials do on the inside of us? And I'm so intrigued that Peter, of all the, the virtues inside of us, he's highlighting that these trials have a major impact on your faith. And what does he say? The outcome of this kind of faith. Firstly, we know the infinite value of our faith of greater worth than gold. This, these trials reveal the value of your faith. Because, folks, you can be going along the Christian life Praise God, I'm trusting God, etc. And then a trial happens, you know. A friend betrays you. Whatever that looks like, you know. And that day it was because you're a Christian. But these things happen for many reasons. It can knock you, folks. And you can go into a spin of, I should have, could have, 
didn't, why didn't I, why did they, they, you know, what did they mean? You know, all this stuff that relational dynamics bring in. You go in a spin. We know the infant value of our faith is greater worth than gold. Now, in those days, the most valuable thing in that society would have been gold. And I did research on gold. I mean, the reason gold is so valuable is because um, it it doesn't react, it doesn't rust, it, it is very attractive, it's very easy to work with, etc. And it has been used as jewelry for literally thousands of years. And it was the most valuable thing in those days. And he's saying that it is more valuable than gold. When you go through a trial, something hits you and you go in a spin, whether it's a medical thing, a financial thing, a relational thing, it's when the thing hits you. You know, one of the things often is, Initially, and this is my experience, initially, you, you move out of faith and you're just overcome by this thing that's hit you. This news, medical news, financial news, whatever. And, and, and you're not in faith. And you go into uh, very often this negative spiral of just negative thinking and, and what if and I should have and why did they do this and, and what, you know, with medical things, you know, suddenly you think, you know, this blue toenail, you know, just now, you know. I get cancer in my ear from my blue toenail. Now, I know that can't happen, but that's how our mind works. We kind of think, oh my goodness, you know, my ear was sore, you know, the crazy thoughts we do. What I'm saying, those neg- that space of where you're not in faith, where you're just thinking crazy negative thoughts about everything, it's in those places that you realize, oh my goodness, I've got to get back into faith. Because living in this negative space of thinking the sky is going to fall in my head, to you, my head, use an asterisk and obelisk example, is just a horrible place to be. To not be in faith is such a horrible place to be. And I mean, just Jen and I were just, um, there was an incident where she had kind of suggested that we take a particular course of action. But what she was suggesting was in reaction to some negative stuff. And so the course of action, the recommended course of action, was actually, there, wasn't, there was no faith in it. It was negative. And I got into such a negative spiral of thinking what the consequence of those actions would be. And, and I realized in that moment, I'm not in faith. I re- I'm not, there's no faith here in what I'm thinking about, what we're thinking about doing the course of action. There's no faith. And I realized the value of my faith. I realized the value of walking in faith as opposed to responding in fear to whatever has happened. And I was like, this is more precious than gold. I will sell my house if I could get the faith back to, 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 to walk in faith. And I was like, I cannot afford not to walk in faith in this area. I cannot go down that road if there's no faith. If I don't feel God leading me there to go there, I can't go there. Do you realize the value of your faith? Okay, the first thing is realizing the value of your faith. The next thing is that trials purify your faith. A purified faith. Next one. A purified faith like gold. And he's comparing here, and everybody in those days would have understood how gold was purified. And I've got it here if if you don't know. In ancient times, gold refining involved a craftsman sitting next to a hot fire with a molten gold in a crucible being stirred and skimmed to remove the impurities or dross that rose to the top of the molten metal. 
So literally on top of this little uh, container of molten metal, of, of, of gold, you get all the impurities and you would stir it and scrape it off and scrape it off. And that's what happens through trials. It's a, it's a faith. You, you kind of think you got faith until you go in a trial and then it's like, who are you trusting? Are you putting, Jen mentioned, are you putting your trust in your finances that have now just taken a knock? Well now, now your finances are gone, so where's your faith? It's like, no, my faith was not pure. I was trusting in my finances, in that investment in the account, in that whatever property I was in. But now the property burns down. It's like, where was your faith? Is your faith in God to provide you or in that investment, etc.? So your faith is being purified. It's like, oh, goodness, okay, Lord. <laughs> oh, shoot. I didn't even realize my faith was in that thing. Okay. Next point. The outcome of this kind of faith is a faith that is genuine, sincere or real. And folks, now we remember we were talking previously about this thing of joy in, 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 in suffering. These things apparently, folks, you can be genuine about that because a genuine faith is revealed. And what is this word genuine? I unpacked it and I mean I've said sincere or real. But I was looking at synonyms or antonyms, and I thought the antonyms actually gave a, 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 a better picture of this. The opposite of genuine, which is an antonym, is something that's fake, false, unauthentic, counterfeit, unreal, or insincere. I don't think anybody wants that kind of a faith. But this is what the trials do. They reveal the genuineness. Was your faith in your job, in your amazing skills that you have, or was your faith in God? And is that faith authentic? Is it a real faith? And this is what we want. Amen. Now, I want to put in brackets there. Real is not total transparency and causing others to stumble. There's this concept and going around that you need to be real. Come on, be real. So what does real look like? For some people, that means that they are just, you know, verbally, let's just say, <clears throat> I say, yeah, real is not total transparency. You know, folks, there are some things that you may feel or some thoughts that may go through your head that it's not helpful to tell others about it because you could cause others to stumble. As a leader, it's one of the biggest challenges that sometimes we face is that I, for example, may get involved to mediate between two people that have major differences, okay? But it's not helpful to anybody else except those two people to tell everybody, you know, whatever, that, you know, Josh and Sanele have had this big fight and big disagreement, and, you know, and Josh said this, and then, you know, Sanele said this, and, you know, then Sanele did this, and Josh... It's not helpful to your faith or anybody else's faith, and you will lose respect for Josh and Sanele in the process. I'm not going to do it, Okay. Absolutely, there may be in certain circumstances, like, for example, you know, I think it will be helpful for Josh's wife to know that there's been a difference. And it depends on the circumstances, how much I'll share, but I'm not going to share everything, okay? And some people have come to me and said, and pressed me, and no, you're not being real, you're not being authentic. I'm saying, I am not going to cause other people's faith to be smashed, but telling you everything that Josh said to Sanele or Sanele did to Josh, I'm not going to do it. And I'm, I'm using... A simple example that doesn't exist. These men are friends. They're family. Just give each other a wave at each other so we can know you're good. Okay, there we go. Okay, they're good. They're friendly. They, they, they visit. They have brides together, etc. They're good. 
But there are many people think that just being real is being uncouth and just letting it all out. And they are, hey, if it's just Josh and Sunel and I'm in the room, they could say things that absolutely need to be said. But it's not going to come out of the room, amen? And it's not just a confidentiality issue, you know? It's not just because the poppy act that I'm not going to tell people what Josh said to Sonele. It's not that. It's do, I don't want your faith to be sunk. These men, for your argument's sake, they're still trusting God. They're still trying to work it out, amen? And so the people have this concept of a real faith, and it's, it's, it's dishonorable. It's disrespectful. A real faith is still honorable and respectful and still walks in honor and respect, amen? So anyway, that was a little rant, just um, like it or leave it or whatever. And just know these guys are good, okay? It is also a faith that results in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I like that the most about this kind of a faith. A faith that goes through trials. A faith that rejoices in the middle of pain. You're not rejecting your pain. You're not making like you don't have pain. I have pain, but I'm still going to rejoice, Lord. Uh, This is sore. I am missing this person. Whoever. You lose a loved one. Folks, it's painful. Bill Johnson shared the most amazing testimony the day his dad died. His dad had pancreatic cancer. They were praying for him for weeks and months in hospital. He died. The day he died, the family was gathered around the table. And Bill Johnson said in that moment, the moment his dad died, he said, there's a sacrifice we can bring to the Lord right now that we cannot bring in heaven. And that is the sacrifice of praising God through our tears. Because there are going to be no tears in heaven. We're going to be rejoicing like yesterday is, and tomorrow will never come. He said, today we can praise God through our tears, through our pain. That's not being inauthentic. That is being biblical. Amen? And the family worshipped God as dad went to heaven. They worshipped God in their pain. They were trusting God for healing. They didn't expect him to die. There's always that chance. They were praying. Their faith, let me say, their prayers were not answered the way they wanted their prayers to be answered. And they chose to worship God in that. Folks, a a faith that results in praise and glory and honor. Now look what it says, when Jesus Christ is revealed. I I was surprised by this verse. And I went to go read in a number of translations. It says, a faith that results in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. If you read this verse, and I read it in different translations, I thought that this verse was talking that our faith would bring praise, glory, and honor to God. And I want that, and I want to say that's a part of it. There's some translations that actually say that this kind of a faith will result in praise, glory, and honor to you. There were at least two translations. I think it was the New Living and the New American Standard. They said, praise, glory, and honor to you. Folks, remember we spoke about inheritance two, three weeks ago, about this inheritance kept in heaven, and part of the inheritance are rewards that we get for being faithful and obedient in serving God. Folks, this verse, Peter's actually saying that glory and honor and praise is going to come to us. You know, quite honestly, I feel a bit uncomfortable with that. You know, some people like being in the limelight. I know I'm in the limelight, but I've got to bring the word in so otherwise the camera can't see me. And some people want to be in the limelight. You know, those people who do drama, you know, they want to get on the stage and, you know, do their drama thing, etc. Other people don't. Like, don't give me the mic. I don't want to be in front. Amen. But that, whether you like it or not, this verse implies 
that there's going to be honor coming our way because of this kind of a faith. Whether you want it or not, that's what's going to happen. I know this kind of faith is going to bring honor to God. But Peter's actually, actually writing here, and, and I've landed it, that it's, there's going to be glory and honor and praise all around to God and to us. What that looks like, I don't know. I don't know what the praise and honor and rewards are going to look like in heaven, but let me say it's going to be probably a little bit more than the Oscars or the Tony Awards or whatever awards you like to watch. It's going to be a little bit more than that. Folks, this kind of faith results in praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed. And I want to read, I want to finish actually with this last slide, this last verse that we're not digging into, but this is where we're going. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And here's the joy again. And are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Oh, Lord. This is amazing. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for this amazing, amazing life that you've called us to live, Lord. Yes, we experience pain and grief and sorrow. But God, there's joy. There's joy in the midst of it. And God, you do so much. There's, there's a faith that is purified. There's a faith that results in glory. There's a faith that is precious, that is revealed in the midst of these trials. And so God, Lord, we thank you that you are with us and that you reveal through your word what is happening in and through us through these things. God, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Join us every Thursday for prayer from half past five to half past six. That happens at church, 154 Burkard Road, as well as on Zoom. If you would like any further information or would like to receive this link, please do contact us. Live Life Connected. Join a connect group. You can follow the link in the description box below or contact our church administrator at 061-452-0877 and you'll be connected to the group best suited to you.